The last time that I wore my glasses on a Sunday morning, somebody came up to me and said, dang, how bad is your eyesight? Because those glasses are thick. Seriously, that happened the last time. It was like eight months ago. I haven't even worn them since then because it hurts a little bit. I don't remember who it was. I think I might know a couple people who would say something like that. I don't remember who it was that made me cry that day. But here's the truth. They're onto something. My eyesight is really bad. It is not good at all, okay? Um, to give you a little bit of perspective, if you... Where are my people that wear glasses or contacts, first of all? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with us. So let me give you a little bit of perspective. My prescription, if you go to the eye doctor, is a negative eight, which is bad, real bad. Um, one way to look at that is that my eyes are eight times worse than the average person's eyes, okay? Um, yeah, it's, it's not good. Without my glasses, without my contacts, I really am not able to see anything at all. When you go to the eye doctor and they have you stand, you know, in front of the Snellen chart, that's the white chart with all the letters that you read as they get progressively smaller, and they have me stand there and cover up an eye and they say, read the smallest line that you can see. I always have to tell them, I know the top line's an E, but I can't see the E. I cannot make out the fact that it's actually the letter E. And so I have to lie and say, oh, top line, it's a letter E. When I was a kid, I was so embarrassed about having to wear glasses and the fact that my glasses were like a pretty thick prescription and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with being a middle schooler with Coke bottle glasses, that I actually memorized the 2020 line on charts so that when I would go to the eye doctor, I would stand there, I'd cover my eye and they would say, read the lowest line you can. And I would say, D-E-F-P-O-T-E. That's the 2020 line. And I would, they'd be like, great, you have wonderful eyes. Here you go. And they'd let me go. Seriously. Now, I still have it memorized, but I actually have to cover an eye. If I don't cover the eye, it's like my brain doesn't make the connection. And I'm like, T3P0P2. I don't know. That's my postal code. I just can't without like... Without uh, covering the eye, it's like my connection is just not made, right? So yeah, I, I used to lie about it, but that was a really bad idea because I am so blind, I can't function without glasses, okay? Without contacts, I'm just, I, I move as much by, uh, by feel as I do by sight. You can ask my wife at night, whenever I've taken off my glasses, if we're getting ready to go to bed, and I'm like, oh shoot, I forgot to do this, I've got to go do it now, and my glasses aren't handy, I'll just go without them, and I will literally walk around, I'm not kidding, I will feel my way around the house like I'm Ray Charles or something. It's crazy, you guys. It kind of makes me wonder, like, if I were to take off my glasses, could I play the piano? I have to wonder, like, some people, they're just able, like, if I were to take them off, I don't know, probably not. But anyway, my eyes are bad. That's what I'm trying to get you guys to understand. They are not good. But here's the cool thing. Every single morning, I get fresh eyes. Every single morning when I wake up, I get to put in lenses or put on glasses that, that take me from blind and honestly not able to function. And I mean that seriously. There's no possible way I could drive. I couldn't see the TV across the room. Like It is an absolute miracle that every single day I get to put on lenses in front of my face that allow what was once blurry what was once vague, what was once hard to kind of make out, and it becomes crystal clear. Honestly, I thank God all the time that I was born in the 20th century and not the second century when they didn't have glasses because I would be legally blind if I didn't have corrective lenses. It is such a good thing to get fresh eyes every single day. 
Now, the reason that I bring this up is because we are in the middle of a series we're calling Fresh Eyes. We want you to see the Christmas story in a new light, maybe with corrective lenses, so to speak, that you wouldn't just say, oh, I know the Christmas story, I've heard it, I know all the details, and it just fades into the background of your December, but that you would actually see the Christmas story and the power and the wonder, and dare I say, even the magic behind this story, and you would be able to do it because you're looking at this story with absolute fresh eyes. Now, here's the cool part. I think if you can see the Christmas story with fresh eyes, you will actually also be able to see your own story with fresh eyes. That is, when you see the story of the birth of Jesus, that you will better understand the story of your life. You will see God differently. You'll see yourself differently. You'll see the world that we live in differently if you can come to view the Christmas story in a way that you never have before. So if you were here last week in the first week of our series, we started with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we talked about the fact that she was really just a scared teenage girl. She wasn't like some magic saint. She wasn't somebody who was like, oh, cool, I'm going to give birth to God's son. Got it. No, she was totally freaked out and scared by that because she was a normal person just like we are. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter number two, the next chapter over, and we're going to look at a whole group of people. And this entire group of people gets sucked into the nativity story, to the birth story of Jesus. And the cool thing is, what happened to them can happen to you this December, 2017, some odd years after this story happened to them. So let's go to Luke chapter number two. We've got the verses on the screen. You can follow along with us there if you like, or you can pull out a paper Bible. You can flip through your phone. However you want to do it, it's totally fine with us. Luke chapter number two. We're going to read several verses here, and we're just going to take them one by one. We're going to walk through them this morning. In Luke chapter number two, we'll start reading in verse eight. The Bible says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now that phrase, that night, it means the night that Jesus was born. So not the night that the angel appeared to Mary and predicted, oh, you're going to be pregnant, and nine months later you're going to give birth. No, the very night that Jesus was born in the stable in Bethlehem, the Bible says there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. Now, because you and I are really familiar with the Christmas story, we've seen the Charlie Brown special, we've uh, read the story or heard it when we were kids, maybe, because we're really familiar with the Christmas story, and we're not at all familiar with life in the first century when the Christmas story happened, because of those two factors, we look at this verse and we say, oh, shepherds, how nice. In the first century, though, nobody would have said, oh, shepherds, how nice. They would have said, shepherds? Say what? Are you serious? No, no, no. Surely not shepherds, because shepherds are not the way that we typically think of them in the 21st century. The fact that shepherds were the people, the first ones to whom the birth of Jesus was announced, was not just interesting, but it was shocking to the first century believers who heard it. Let me tell you a little bit about why that is. The, the scripture says here that these were shepherds. And again, to us, that seems like normal, not a big deal. To them, it was a really big deal. Here, the, the, the verse gives us a few reasons or hints as to why that is. First of all, 
It said these shepherds were staying in the fields nearby. The, the Bible, you may know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so when you go back and you look at the way this is written in the original Greek, the phrase staying in the fields, it literally means living outdoors. That's what they did. Shepherds lived out in the fields. We know from ancient Jewish writings that it was common for shepherds to go out with the flocks in about the month of April, and they would stay out all the way until about the month of November, sometimes into December, depending on the weather and the climate where they were. So they would spend all of that time living outdoors. They would sleep on the ground. It's not like they had tents and they would be tent camping as they, you know, kind of herded and shepherded the flocks around to find grass. No, they would just throw out a bedroll and they would sleep under the stars. They lived in the desert and so it didn't rain a lot. So these were people that lived outdoors for months and months at a time around a bunch of sheep. They slept outside in the dirt on the ground. As you can imagine, they didn't shower a lot. Like, what's the point? The sheep don't care if you smell nice. And you're not around other people. It's just you and your other shepherd bros. And so they would go months and months and months without bothering to shower or shave or get a haircut or change their clothes or whatever, because it just didn't matter in the type of work that they did. We find that these guys were very isolated from society because of the job that they had to do. They were also generally uneducated people. You didn't have to have any special training to be a shepherd. All you had to do was have a willingness to live outside like a sheep for several months out of the year. These guys were not educated, they were not highly trained, and they weren't really highly respected in their society either. So uh, we know from ancient Jewish writings that shepherds were viewed as one of the lowest jobs that you could do in their society. It was like nobody wanted their kids to grow up and be a shepherd. No little boy said, ooh, when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd. It was like the worst job that you could have. One time I went to a preschool graduation in Florida, and they had all the kids come across the stage, and they would stand in front of a microphone, and they would say, hi, my name's Austin, and my favorite food is macaroni, and when I grow up, I want to be a, and they would fill in the blank. And it was like dancer, it was farmer, it was police officer, whatever. There was one time a little boy came across, he said, hi, my name is Austin, my favorite food is macaroni, and when I grow up, I want to be an ambulance. We were like, what? That's not how that works. Kids would want to be an ambulance before they wanted to be a shepherd. It was the lowest job you could have. You didn't get paid a lot for doing it. It's not like they were like, well, you have to live outdoors and you're gone away from society, but at least we'll compensate you well for your trouble. No, they got paid next to nothing. These were not the people who owned the sheep. These were just the people who were hired to take care of the sheep. Well-to-do families in the first century would never, ever, 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 ever marry their daughter to a shepherd. That would be like a dishonor to their family. They just, they would not do that, period, okay? So because of the way that shepherds were viewed in their society, and because of the type of job that they often had to do, shepherds were fringe members of society. I was trying to think like in the 21st century, you know, who might qualify as that? People who have very rough and tumble, blue collar jobs. They tend to be like crude and uneducated and all that. And I tried to come up with, you know, who that might be in the 21st century. And I actually came up with a couple ideas, 
But then I thought, I probably shouldn't say those because if anybody in the theater is, you know, like an offshore fisherman or something like that, they're going to be like, dude, what are you saying about me, you know? And so like, we don't even have a direct analogy to, to these sorts of guys and the job that they did in our society. The reason that I'm spending so much time telling you about shepherds and what it was like for them is because I want you to understand that these were the last people in the world that you would have expected the birth of the Savior to be announced to. These are the last people that the first century readers and hearers of this story would have ever expected angels to appear to. Okay? So these were antisocial people. They were like um, uneducated. They were irreligious. Like, pay attention to the fact that it says when the birth of Jesus happened, they were out in the fields doing work. They were not at the temple. If you read in Luke chapter number three, you find there were people that were so religious, they spent every single day at the temple waiting for the Messiah to appear. Seriously, Luke three, you can read about them. Not the shepherds. They're like, I ain't got time for that. I got to pay bills. And so they're out in the hills working away from everybody else, and they're viewed as very lowly members of society. Now, I want you to also notice here, it says that they were out staying in the fields nearby, and they were guarding their flocks. This is kind of an important detail when you're trying to understand who the shepherds were and what they were doing that night. Because in ancient Israel, a shepherd's job was to make sure that the flocks were guarded. They were safe. There were lions in ancient Israel, there were bears in ancient Israel, there were wolves, and there were feral dogs. And all of those animals would try to come in and pick off members of the herd. And because sheep were a valuable commodity in the first century, the shepherds had a strong, they had a tough job. Because if they let an animal come in and take off one of the sheep, often it would be taken from their pay by the owner, the master of the house. So I, I want you to imagine on this night that there's a group of shepherds on a hillside near Bethlehem. They're gathered around a campfire, and they're constantly looking out. They're scanning the horizon. They're making sure that there are no threats, no animals that are going to come in and hurt the flock. Not only did they have to worry about animals, but shepherds actually had to worry about humans too. They had to worry about thieves. Because sheep were a valuable commodity and there was no way to track them if they disappeared from a flock, you know, there was like no find my sheep or anything like that. Um, they had to make sure that thieves didn't come in and make off with the animals in the middle of the night. And so I want you to think about shepherds who are outcasts from society who've been told their whole life that they are nothing, they are no one, they don't belong, they shouldn't be a part of God's family, um, just all of these different things. And from their perspective, everything around is trying to get them. Everything around is trying to, to capture their animals and take away their livelihood. It was a tough job to be a shepherd in the first century. Always, always, always looking out. Okay? Now, these are the people that the angels show up to and make the announcement. It's going to be really, really interesting in just a moment with all of that understanding in the back of your mind. Let's look at verse number nine here. The Bible says, as these shepherds are watching their flock by night, the Bible says, suddenly, and I want you to understand that, suddenly, that's an important word. This wasn't like expected. It's not like the shepherds are like, eh, the angels should be showing up anytime here. No, it was out of the blue, totally unexpected. Suddenly, the scripture says, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. 
like not up in the sky somewhere, but boom, right there next to the campfire. The angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. That means it was shining very brightly, but it wasn't just a bright light. There was something more to this. So the radiance of the Lord uh, surrounded them. And the scripture says they were what? They were terrified. I would be too. We told you last week that every single time an angel appears to have a one-on-one conversation in the Bible, the first thing the Bible tells us is that the people were afraid and the angel says, don't be scared. Every single time it happens in the Bible because this was not a normal occurrence and these were not super saints. They were everyday people just like you and me. And so the angel says, Guys, don't be terrified. They were afraid. They were freaking out. They weren't excited that an angel had just appeared to them. Why were they so terrified? I want you to understand it relates back to what we said about who these shepherds were. You see, every single external and internal voices that these men had heard for the last umpteen years in their life had told them that they were the kind of people that God hated that they were the kind of people that didn't fit in, that they were the kind of people that were not worthy of being loved either by others or by God. In the shepherd's mind, if God were going to show up, if as a later verse is going to tell us, the armies of heaven were going to magically or suddenly appear, then it would be because God and his army have shown up to lay the smack down on them. That's the only reason that an angel would appear to a shepherd as far as they were concerned. It wouldn't be good news if God wanted to show up and give good news. In the shepherd's mind, that means God would give the good news to the good people. The shepherd believed if God were going to show up and drop some good news, he wouldn't give it to me. He would give it to the people who are in church every single weekend. He would give it to the people who have their life together, you know? He would give it to the people who loved and were loved by everybody else. He would give it to um, religious people, respectable people, wealthy people, whatever it is. Maybe they would think, okay, if God were going to show up and give good news, he'd give it to the people who owned the sheep, not the people who watched the sheep. So the shepherds spent all of their time looking out looking out for predators, looking out for thieves, looking out for people who didn't trust them, who didn't want anything to do with them, and they never thought to look up. In their normal everyday life, a shepherd would have never thought to look up, to look to God. They would look out, but they would not look up. They would assume if there was good news coming, that that good news would be for somebody else. The shepherds become a great example of a principle that you probably understand intuitively, but it may not be something you've ever articulated before. This principle is that how you view life drives how you do life. That's true. It's true of the shepherds. It's true of you and I. The shepherds believed they were nobody. They believed they were outcasts. They believed they didn't belong, that God would have nothing to do with them. And so it dictated how they did their life. They were always separate, both from society and from God. Because of what they believed about their life, it dictated how they lived their life. 
We could put it a different way. We could say that like how you see yourself will determine how you treat yourself. And this is not like new age, sort of like, oh, let's feel good or anything like that. That's just a fact of life. If we believe certain voices and what they say about who we are, then we will start to live our life in certain ways. And that's why it's important which voices you're listening to, who you're allowing to speak into your life, and and who you're allowing to define you. See, some of you here this morning can actually identify with the shepherds. I don't mean that you don't shower and you're not qualified to marry into my family. That's not what I'm saying. But you can identify with the shepherds because you believe like they did. The Christmas story is for somebody else. It's for them, whoever them might be in your mind. You think, oh, the Christmas story, it's for the good people. It's for the well-to-do people. It's for the religious people. You might be thinking, okay, the Christmas story, sure, it's nice, but in reality, it's for those who never doubt. And I'm full of doubts every day, and so I don't think the Christmas story is for me. You might say, oh, the Christmas story is for people who never sin, people who are always in church, people who have their lives together. That's who God was kind of trying to reach out to here. There's somebody, uh, I think he's in the theater this morning, so I won't call him out, but the very first time he ever came to connect, or at least the, the, he was like the second or third time he came, and I got a chance to finally meet him, he was telling me how scared he was to come to church the first time. And I was like, why in the world would you be scared to come to church? That seems like such a, I don't know, it's crazy to me. And he was like, honestly, I thought if I walked into a church that I would just burst into flames or lightning was going to strike me because of the life that I lived. And some of you feel that way about yourselves this morning. You feel separate and distant from God. And when you hear good news, you say, oh, that's for them. That's not for me. You believe like the shepherds, if God were to show up, He would definitely be angry. He would be at least frustrated, probably disappointed in you. If you feel that way this morning, I really want you to pay attention to what the angel says in the next verse. I want you to grab a hold of this, and I want you to trust it this morning. Look at the verse, verse number 10. But the angel reassured them. And said what angels always say to people, do not be afraid. Then he says, I bring you what? Good news. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. I love this phrase, the way it's written in the original language. The Greek word for great is megas, M-E-G-A-S. It's the same word that we get mega from. Like if you say something is like mega big, that's exactly what this is. And so the angel literally says, I bring you good news that will bring mega joy to everybody who hears it. I like that. I really do. He says, I bring you good news that is great joy. And this great joy is for all people. It's for everyone. Every last person gets to participate in this good news. That Jesus, this Savior, this little child who's born, he is the Savior and Redeemer of every single person. Everyone, even the shepherds qualify for God's love in Jesus. It is good news that should bring great joy to all people. 
Now, it would be one thing if God simply said, oh, I love all people and, you know, my good news, uh, it's for everybody. But he actually demonstrated it when he appeared to shepherds of all people to announce the good news. When he does that, God is proving he is serious, that Christmas is for everyone. Now, I want to be really clear because I don't want you to misunderstand me. And there's an important distinction I want to make here. So track with me for just a sec. Christmas is not just for all kinds of people. Christmas is for all people. That is an important distinction to make. Christmas is not just for all kinds of people. It is for all people. You see, if if you believe Christmas is simply for all kinds of people, then you would say, oh, sure, yeah, it's for that kind of person and that kind of person and that kind of person. And you will do what you've always done. You'll do what the shepherds did. You will say, oh, it's still for them. Even though they're people like me, it's not really for me. But I want you to understand Christmas is for all people. It is not for all kinds of people. It's for all people. It is not just for people like you. I want you to understand the birth of Jesus is for you. This is a very important distinction. It is a critical difference that I want you to grab a hold of. The Christmas story is for you as an individual, you with all of your baggage. Sure, it's for people just like you, but it is actually for you. So like you might say to yourself, I don't even like Christmas. Guess what? Christmas is for you. You might say, I've got doubts. I'm just not sure about this whole story. It seems crazy. I want to believe, but I just have trouble with it. I want you to know Christmas is for you. I I want you to know that if you have regrets over what you did last night or what you spent your week doing, Christmas is for you. If you've ever been told you don't fit in, you don't belong, you you should not be a part of a church or a group or society, I don't know. If you've ever heard those words or ever got that sense from people, I want you to know Christmas is for you. If you've never given a dollar in a church offering plate, guess what? Christmas is still for you. I want you to know, no matter what you've got going on, you're battling depression, you're fighting through um, temptation, you're struggling through all sorts of stuff that you're not prepared to share with anybody else this morning, and that's totally fine. Please hear me. Christmas is for you. There is nothing you've got going on in your life that would preclude you from being included in the peace and blessing of the Christmas story. And God proved that when he appeared to shepherds, the least deserving status or class of people in their world. Christmas is for all people. Look at verse number 13. Actually, let's back up verse 11, sorry. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And then in verse 13, the scripture says, Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven is what the Bible calls them. And they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. Look, the the shepherds eventually made a shift 
And this shift transformed Christmas for them. It changed their lives, and it can transform and change your life as well. The shepherds who had spent all their time looking out, looking out at the things that they had to do. They were busy with life and work and all of that. Looking out and processing all the voices in their world that said, oh, you're this, you'll never be that. All the voices that said, you don't fit in, you don't belong, you're unworthy. God himself would have nothing to do with you. The shepherds who had spent all of their time looking out finally looked up. And when they looked up, do you know what they didn't find? They didn't find an angry God who was ready to cast them aside like the rest of their society. When they looked up, the Bible says they saw a God who was speaking good news of great joy, that his peace and his favor was on them of all people. Maybe we could summarize it like this. When you look up in faith, God looks upon you with favor. And this is not just at Christmas time. This is not just like, oh, this one moment thousands of years ago to these other people. No, this is for all of us. Remember, this is our story as well. And if the shepherds could look up and find a God smiling on them with love and favor, so can we. I don't want you to look out. I don't want you to let your life be defined by all of the internal and external voices. I don't want you to believe everything you've heard about God from random people in your family or in your life. I want you to look up and I want you to see the God that is revealed in the Christmas story. I want you to see that he looks on you with love and with favor, not with anger and disappointment. You've been afraid to look up. You've been afraid that if you were to stare this God in the face, you'd be in trouble. And if God were to appear and judge all of us, and I'm talking about myself as well as you and everyone else, if God were to appear to us and he were to judge us based on our behavior, we would all be in trouble. Every one of us, because to use the phrase from this passage, all people are broken and sinful. All people need a savior. If there were some people who didn't need a savior, then this would not be good news to all people. But it is good news to all people because all of us need to know that the God who created us loves us, that he looks on us with favor and grace and peace and not all of the fear and the judgment and the anger that we've expected all along. This God gives you mega joy. He gives you mega peace. He gives you mega favor. It goes way above and beyond anything you would have ever expected. But in order to discover it, you got to quit looking out. You got to start looking up. And the Christmas season is the perfect time to look up. Because when you look up in faith, you see that God looks upon you with favor. So here's how you look up. I'm gonna give you uh, basically a couple of things that you could do this this Christmas season over the next few weeks that would be the equivalent of looking up. And basically, I want you to do the same thing that the shepherds did. Last verse we're gonna read here, verse number 15. The scripture says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. 
Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know what happened? When the shepherds looked up, they decided the only reasonable response was to run to Jesus. That's what they decided they were going to do. They were going to run to the Savior, run to this baby that was born. I want you to imagine, I mean, like, can you just picture if these shepherds had experienced what they did on that hillside that night and it not changed them? Could you imagine that happening? I certainly can't. Can you imagine maybe like the, one of these shepherds being in his 70s? It's so like decades into the future and he's got his grandkids sitting on his lap and he's like, man, I got to tell you this story. This one time I was out on the Judean hillside. It was a normal night. We were making sure that the flocks were okay and they were well guarded. Suddenly, an angel appeared out of nowhere. And he told us that the Messiah had been born just a, a few hundred yards down the hill. It was crazy. Can you imagine the little grandchild sitting on the shepherd's lap saying, well, what happened? What did you do, grandpa? How was it when you went and found the baby? And the shepherd said, I don't know. I thought maybe I was dreaming. I'd made the whole thing up. I decided it was too crazy. I couldn't believe that was happening. And so I didn't go. I've heard rumors. I've heard people say that it was all just a, a made up myth. It wasn't real. I've heard other people say that it was the most important night in the history of the world, but I never found out because I never went to find out. That would be completely crazy. And it's not what the shepherds do. The shepherds, after they look up and they discover this God who's looking on them with favor and love and grace, they run to him. And I wanna challenge you to run to him. If you've ever believed that God is angry and you're on the outside of his love and grace, can I tell you that is not the story of the Bible. You may have even heard Christians say that to you before, but that is not what you find in the scripture. You find peace on earth. You find good news. You find mega joy for everyone on whom God's favor rests. So I want to challenge you to run to Jesus, to go to him and say, Jesus, if you're real, if you are who the Bible says you are, who that guy up on stage was saying you are, then I want to have some kind of relationship with you. If that's who you are, then I want to look up in faith. The way that you do that is very, very simple. You just express it in prayer. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Everybody, whether you're willing to make this decision, ready to take this step or not, I'm gonna just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you are ready to do life with Jesus, to experience this God who is love, who is grace, who pours out his favor on you, then all you have to do is say a simple prayer. I'm gonna give you the words to say just so you don't have to worry if you're saying the quote unquote right thing, okay? So with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're ready to make that step and begin a relationship with Jesus, then I'm just gonna invite you to say these words. You can say them out loud. You can say them to yourself. doesn't really matter. You say, dear Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. And I believe I can find it in you. Thank you for your love. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you've looked up. You've taken your first steps into relationship with this God who loves you so much. If you've already done that, then I want to challenge you to do some other things that might help you to look up. I want to challenge you to come back. 
being involved in a community like this, where you are challenged and encouraged to stay tight in your relationship with Jesus, that's a way of looking up this Christmas season. I'll challenge you to do what Joshua invited you to do earlier in the service. Bring somebody back with you next time. Maybe they need to hear about this God who loves them and looks on them with favor and grace. I'm gonna challenge you to get involved in a small group. They start back up in January. We're really pumped about it. You need to be in community with other people. And maybe you can even find a place to serve. Maybe your thing is not playing keys, but maybe you can hold a door or you can help us set things up. Do whatever it is that God lays on your heart that would cause you to look up in faith. And I promise you, when you look up in faith, God looks upon you with favor.